Hi, welcome to Real Men Feel. This is Andy Grant. Uh, here as always with my friend, cohort, partner in crime, Apio Hunter. Greetings. Um, Real Men Feel is something that we created earlier this year. It's about giving space to men to feel, <laughs> hence the name. Um, as a coach, as a transformational expert, as a personal growth junkie, um, a lot of events I go to, a lot of clients, predominantly women, and I was really called this year to make a space for guys to come out of the spiritual closet, to, to ask questions, to find answers, to just uh, have a place to talk and share w about whatever's going on for them. So that's the genesis of, of this weekly live blab. Joining us this week is grief coach Franklin Cook. Hello, Franklin. Hi, how you doing, Andy? Very good. And how are you uh, today, Apio? Real well. Having a fantastic day. Cool, cool. So, so Franklin, you, uh, you build yourself as a grief coach. Yes, I do. I, uh, I have several uh, businesses that I run, and they're all a one-man show. And one of the most recent businesses that I started is a grief coaching business. And in brief, it's just me um, and a telephone line. And I use the principles of life coaching. I'm a certified professional uh, coach uh, trained as a life coach and peer grief support. So grief support where someone who is traumatically bereaved helps some, you know, new people who are newly bereaved. So I use those principles and deliver on um, telephone support one-on-one -on -one to people, specifically to people who've lost someone to suicide. All right. So, and I assume someone going into the grief business, for lack of a better term, has experienced some grief in their life. Is, is yeah. That yeah. The peer, the peer, um, the peer support principles are actually one of my one of my specialties. So I started doing this work about 1999 as a as a volunteer, and over the years I've developed a lot of expertise, training, um, helping to develop programs and guidelines for people who have lost a loved one to suicide, who help other people who've lost a loved one to suicide. So that's really my you know the place where. I come from uh, most of all, and I uh, started this one-on-one -on -one work because I no longer do, I used to do face-to-face -face support groups and a lot of face-to-face -face work, and I really miss that. I now do some work online, and I do the personal grief coaching. That's what I do. Now, yeah, I'm kind of curious about your history, how you got started with this. Obviously, sure. peer to peer suggests yeah, you had your personal experience. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, my my uh, my story is that my my dad died by suicide. My dad uh, died in uh, 1978, which was when I was 24 years old, and he was 49 years old. And after that, I really didn't work in suicide prevention or suicide grief support, or really have anything to do with that world. But like I say, about 20 years later, I got involved as a volunteer and very, very quickly. And by very quickly, I mean within a year's time or so, it really did turn into a second career for me. And so I've developed that career both around managing suicide prevention projects and around this other grief support element of, uh, of my work. And I actually thought I was going to come on as maskedmen.org, which, which is my prevention project. So if you ever want to talk well, I can talk both personalities, even if I'm not, I, you know, or there's maybe some other personalities you might be interested in as well. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to all 12 of your personalities. I'm, I'm, open, I'm open to, you know, letting the committee take turns or however you guys need to do it. 
cool. Um, one thing I want to ask about when you when you lost your dad, um, were you en- encouraged or allowed to like really feel and express emotions in, or were you kind of told to just hold it in, or how did how was that? Oh my, you know, when I lost my dad, it was totally another another world. Then, as far as you know, not just not just as far as being a, being a man goes, but it was another world as far as stigma around suicide, stigma around mental illness. So I guess I guess I would say that, uh, man, it was a very it was a very difficult time, and I don't know if I was ever encouraged or or, or discouraged. I I went through a period of uh, grief, I think, like a lot of people do, where you know you take your three days off, or or you take. I actually took a week or so because my dad had two funerals uh, in two different places, and. It was a it was an intense time, and there was a lot of emotion right around when he died, and nobody could have held our grief back because it was so so immense. But then it, I felt like, oh, I'm just going to go back. To, I was a I was a undergrad uh, in Ogden, Utah, and I just went back to school. Like, okay, here we go, and uh, that that was hard. And so you went and, to Weber State then. I did. I did go to, and I'm, I'm just impressed that anybody knows if I said I went to uh, Utah, that Weber State is even a college. That's where I am. Funny enough is actually yeah. in Salt Lake and Sandy. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. I grew up in Brigham city. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. So I, I, yeah, I went, I went back to school and I don't recall exactly cause that's a long time ago, but I think I took um, nine out of 12 hours incomplete that you know what i mean i was just a chocolate mess as, yeah. as we mm-hmm. as we say and i just yeah. you know never anticipated um you know that sort of heavy experience but it remained that way for a very long time so it was just kind of ignored you weren't offered help yeah. you didn't seek help you just yeah i don't i don't know kind of- i don't know if, it, if if ignored is the right word as much as i didn't i didn't have a have a clue you know what 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 I might do about it. So since I was already um, dealing with my life, mostly through um, alcohol, drugs, and rock and roll, I pretty much stuck, you know, right with that, um, which was also not that good of a, a decision, but that also, you know, uh, took me a while to get, get straightened out. But I wouldn't say so much that it was ignored, you know, by others. I think people didn't understand about suicide loss, mm-hmm. but really, people didn't understand that much about grief and outside of the family or, or people immediately affected. I, I didn't ever go get help or, or, or anything for, for my bereavement. I didn't really maybe, and I was a pretty, you know, I was a liberally educated uh, person, but I didn't really, really um, seek uh, help. Not for that. So, so here's a question for you. I mean, knowing knowing where you were when this whole thing went down and, and, and where you grew up and understanding the very unique culture that exists here in Utah, um, I'm kind of curious to know, was, what, did that play a factor? You know, the, the LDS element, if you will. The, because, you know, since you, since you grew up here in Utah and yeah. you know what it's like, um, there, is, there is a lot yeah. of a shock element, particularly if there is suicide that's involved. And people almost like take a, a hand off a kid gloves approach, not wanting to offer support because a, there's that, there's that stigma regarding yeah. suicide, but simultaneously not knowing exactly how to handle it. And especially if you're being rebellious at the same time. Yeah. So how, how did that 
play into into everything that you're going through? You know, I think uh, I I think really I don't know if I could make a generalization about about the Utah culture about the mm-hmm. religious culture um, in in that regard, but I, but mm-hmm. I do know that from the time my my dad died like the first funeral that um that he had in brigham city and we were not lds um was a lutheran funeral but i can only remember like the first little bit of it because it was sort of like i don't remember a thing that was said but i know that it was it struck me as judgmental or it struck me as things being cast in a negative way and i sort of just quit you know being there and Mm -hmm. i just felt when we went back to Nebraska and that's where he was buried and where, where my mom grew up, you know, I, I just felt like the part where he killed himself was off the table. You know, the part where he died of suicide was not um, discussed beyond that initial crisis when you can't get away from it. Right. You can't get away that he, from the fact that he killed himself in the first 72 hours or week or whatever. But once you got beyond that, it was like, uh, not a topic, you know, right. outside the family. It was certainly sure, a topic sure, outside yeah. the family, and we all struggled mightily uh, with mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. And then once I started getting help, I actually got help for for the you know drug and alcohol addiction, mm-hmm. and working with the grief even then was secondary to primarily. I was trying to get clean. You know, and so even though I worked a lot on my grief, it was always the background subject. And it wasn't until I had trouble 20 years later, like, and I was clean then. I was nine years clean in 1999. It wasn't until I really had sort of a depressive, major depressive episode of my own that I dug into the grief. And I was fortunate enough, and this is why I'm a peer advocate and a peer uh, expert and this is my life is because I went to a peer support group and I, and it was just, it was like the best thing I ever did was to go, go be with people who had lost someone to suicide. You know, that was just like, I can't even describe how I had done all of this personal work and all this psychological and emotional work, but this grief was always secondary. And once I made that grief primary, what I was really looking at it, what I was really looking at, and I did it with people who had been there, or and some of them have been there very, very recently, and that just made all the difference. That's how I wound up being who I am, you know, is by going to that peer support. Cool. And, and, and looking back, did did the the death of your father did, did it exacerbate the drug and alcohol use? Did it ramp it up to a new level at that time? Or you know. <laughs> You know, I would like to have something to blame um, for however however it went, um, but I have no way to know if it wouldn't have followed the same course. Um, I'm one of those um, alcoholics or addicts who, from the first time I used, um, if somebody was around that knew what was going on, could have said, that looks like it might be a problem for you, you know, like from, and I was probably 13 years old, so, so you know, I was on a I was on a, a trajectory from the time I was thirteen until I first went to treatment. Um, you know that who knows? I mean, it certainly didn't help anything. You know, it was a very dark period. It was a very painful period. I was entirely traumatized by it, and um, you know, it certainly didn't. It certainly didn't improve the environment in which I was doing that. So I'm thinking it. it you know, my world turned very dark to me. You know, in that I just really believe that, you know, uh, 
you know, that's where I became, uh, if you can, I don't like the word atheist because I don't think it describes anything, mm -hmm. but that's the word that you would use, you know, to describe where I went with all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> in, in that initial peer support group that you were at, what was was it a decent uh, a fairly balanced mix of men and women you know, at the time this is, this is the great this is the great thing or the great topic about men you know if you go to i i'm on the board of directors of an online group alliance of hope you can go to allianceofhope.org and see what that is it's just a community bulletin board but it's a very sophisticated one and very well uh, monitored and and uh, moderated i'll bet you 80 or 90% of those folks on there are women OK, if you go into any support group, like you might look out and go in somewhere where it's 30 percent men. But that would be a huge crowd of men in these places. That would be a if you went if you went in there and there were 12 people and four of them were, were men, you go, oh, man, there's a lot of guys here, yeah. you know, <laughs> because usually if you go in then there's 12 people, you know, one or two and maybe three. Sorry, I'm adjusting myself there are men. But but really, this is a to me. In terms of a real area for our culture, and by our culture, I mean men's culture to grow, is around grief. I mean, we pretty much, uh, you know, I don't like to make generalizations because I've run into, you know, literally hundreds of bereaved men who, who are really, you know, sensitive uh, people who've, you know, who've, who've done the work and been on the journey. So I don't, I don't want to say we are this way or we are that way, but I'll tell you. Uh, our culture, men's culture, struggles with uh, with our grief experience a lot. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know of any man that would argue that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or Absolutely. human being, let alone men. I don't think any. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think I think to be to be sort of complete in what I'm saying. Another thing, and this to me. All of these men's issues are, are two, there's two sides to each one of these issues. So I can sit here and say, look, men do not grieve well or whatever it is we're saying, you know, that, that our culture isn't really uh, sophisticated about that. But then on the other hand, you know, people don't don't recognize and validate the way we do grieve. Like sometimes we do grieve by by working. You know, we do grieve, you know, our silence, people will just say, well, you've got to talk about it, really? Um, some people have to talk about it, but some people don't. And this is just true, you know. So, so, so in a way, the other side of the story always to me is, well, do we honor the, the way and grieve, you know? And to me, our larger society or our larger culture doesn't honor a lot about, about men, you know, in, in different ways. And, and so it's always that, you know, we have these issues as a culture ourselves and the culture we live in doesn't get us, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, real, you know, touchy feely guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't get us. Right. Right. You know, it gets, it gets the guys who are just like, you know, and again, yeah. I don't want to reduce people to, to a stereotype. I think that's part of the problem but but my my father's culture or my grandfather's culture i mean there were some pretty straightforward things about what you did and didn't do and who you were as a man and what the rules were about your emotions i mean there's actually a lot of straightforward stuff about that so i don't think right. we should ignore that either yeah and it's not about um 
I don't want to reinforce or, or use or judge stereotypes, but yeah. a lot yeah. of the stereotypes around being the traditional man are still reinforced by society and even absolutely. rewarded, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. that's what this is all about, like breaking those down and daring, daring to push at those walls of the stereotypes. Yeah. And, no, that's yeah. that's what uh, that's what I appreciate about 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 your work. Um, as you know, we, I mean, we've only had one really in depth. Um, discussion but these are the kind of things these are the kind of conversations these are the kind of spaces where where men are recreating their culture culture isn't a top-down project <laughs> you know nobody's going to come in and and um and uh, create our culture right. for us a or new has been, been availed for men starting tomorrow uh, unless you're if, unless you're in north korea you know <laughs> right you know, that's how totalitarian it has to be for it to go culture deep, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we need to do it from the bottom up. And I've learned a lot about the fact that, uh, that men are very, I mean, we are recre- recreating our culture. There really is new masculinity, new masculinity, whatever that means mm-hmm. that I think is, really vibrant and that uh really maybe it'll be a hundred years from now or whatever but but it's already so different than when i was i when i i I was born in 1954 and so the world i grew up in was totally archie bunker you know i mean i see now i even make a a literary illusions that i have no idea if people even know what i'm talking about you know but (laughs) It's like <laughs> we're aging. We're aging ourselves here too because yeah, we both like, understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I actually i uh, I did my to be a man presentation last week, and I had yeah. I, I, the oldest I go. I, I started with a picture of John Wayne. Guy didn't know who, who that was. I got I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing right. for John Wayne, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so that's kind of good. So we're you know are the oldest stereotypes falling away. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, and and you know that's 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 a mixed bag. You know, of course. So, um, yeah. So that's so I grew up in that in that era, and I am so not living in that era. And the people that I, you know, that I associate with, or my my colleagues, or whatever. I mean, you know, they're, we're modern. There's, there's a modern species of us that is a different cat. You know, there's no, no question about that. Cool. Cool. So w- with that, let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, to what mass men oh, sure. is, is all about. Right? Yeah. Well, um, mass you men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> You'd hope, right? <laughs> I'm the, I'm the project manager. So. <laughs> So if I don't know, we are in a world of hurt, right? So, so Mass Men is strictly a Massachusetts endeavor. And where it came from is that, well, first of all, here's an interesting, just let's go outside of Massachusetts. Depending on which year the data are for, it's either three out of four or four out of five fatalities in the United States are men, Okay. You know, it's usually closer to four out of five, even if it starts going down. So, so somewhere between, let's say, seventy-five percent and eighty percent of of fatalities in the United States of suicide are men. Okay, so that seems interesting to start with. All right, mm-hmm. so 
So in Massachusetts, there was some surveillance that went on from two, you know, regular public health surveillance from 2003 to 2010. They dug into it because the overall suicide rate in Massachusetts, which is very low comparatively, went up 2.2 per hundred thousand. It went from six point now now 6.6 to 8.8 or some some you know something in the sixes to something in the eights 2.2 per 100,000 so on you know 7 6 or 7 million people that's 150 fatalities a year give or take you know this fluctuates all over the place so putting numbers on it can be a little tricky but but this caught the eye of public health folks so so they asked um, me to uh, see if we could come up with some creative ideas to to deal with that, and that's maybe a longer story, you know, not to tell here. But the end the end product of that, or one of the end products of that, was developing a public awareness campaign campaign that's built around a couple of websites that are just built specifically for men. And so that's what massmen massmen.org is built for men. It connects men to kind of a innovative and somewhat controversial uh, national site that was developed in Colorado called Man Therapy. And you go to you can go to mantherapy.org and it'll be an experience that you either love it or hate it because it's one of those things, right? Mantherapy.org. And the other thing it does, it does two other things. It takes men to uh, mental health screenings online and men tend to like, well, it's not that they like it, but they will do it. You know, if you give them an anonymous, free online screening, it's something they'll interact with over their mental health. So we have six screenings and then we just have a database of resources. So we're just getting rolling. We're at the, we're, well, we're a little past the start of our second year, but, but yeah, that's the, that's the basics of it. Uh, Mental health awareness campaign, man therapy, screenings, resources. So right now that's the. That's where we're at with it. Cool. And and uh, do you have interaction with other states as, as things succeed somewhere? Like, do, do things kind of spread that way at all? Well, well interest, interestingly, interestingly, Ma- Massachusetts is really uh, is really doing a good job ar- around this because it's only been recently that the entire national suicide prevention movement has really started to turn and focus on the people who are dying the most, which is middle-aged men. And so we're kind of at the, at the leading edge of, you know, it's not that we're doing, you know, all this work and everything. I don't, I don't mean that, but we're certainly in the, in the fray, you know, we are certainly, okay, this is a state Massachusetts that's really got something going on. That's just for men that is doing some, some community organizing around this, that is doing some public awareness around this. And so we are certainly in the, we, we have a great department of public health in, in Massachusetts, uh, a great director of the suicide prevention program. Um, Alan Homeland has done as much for suicide prevention in the state as, as, or in any state as anybody has, has done. So we've got great leadership. We've got 10 active regional coalitions. So we've got a bunch of stuff in Massachusetts to be really well. And we have, one of the three lowest suicide rates too, rates, okay? But we still have, you know, 500 or 550 fatalities a year, you know, and it, it's all over the place year by year. So again, whenever you say numbers, people will go, well, it was only 472 or it was, wait a minute, it was 580, you know, but that's that's how this, this works is it's variable from year to year. 
so yeah, we, you know, we just presented on mass men, uh, my partner and I screening for mental health is the name of the organization and people from the state coalition and someone from one of the regional coalitions just presented at the American association of suicidology conference, you know, cause people are going, what, what are we going to do with us guys? You know, how are we going to help guys, um, who are in that kind of distress? And so I think that, that for the first well, I don't know about for the first time, but really attention is going to be paid to men who are having the kind of struggles that lead to suicide, I think, like never before. And it might make take 10 or 20 years for it to get full blown. But it, but if, if things go the way we hope it, hope it goes, that that's really going to get some, some attention. You know, that idea that men maybe aren't getting what they need out of our mental health system. You know, so that's a big idea. So well, certainly my own experience has been that there's such a stigma that culturally we have about getting mental health assistance for mental health issues, Absolutely. mental health challenges. And so that yeah. definitely plays a role. Just, um, I'm kind of curious. I mean, have other states or cities even reached out to you or reached out to the state of Massachusetts because you are being so progressive on this particular front of addressing the, these, these suicide uh, causalities? Yeah, I, and, yeah, I think. I think the I think the answer is uh, is that is that the state of Massachusetts. It's not so much that people even have to reach out to us. The state of Massachusetts has leadership. Um, Alan Holman at the Department of Public Health. Um, people like myself who who do who different who I happen to be a, man, a project manager who works only in suicide prevention. But you have you have leading uh, agencies here. These people participate in the national movement. Like when you go to the American Association of Suicidology conference every year, whether you're in Chicago or Los Angeles or where you are, there's a whole herd of us there. You know, so we Massachusetts is part of the movement. And um, I so like for instance, when when the national strategy. Uh, folks, uh, it's called the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention, looked at some of their special areas. There were two people from Massachusetts on the one that dealt with men. It, it was Alan and me. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have a person, the person who uh, who is the executive director of screening for mental health, she was on the group that looked at workplace um, mental health issues for the, so, so we're involved, not so much that people have to read, but we're part of the, we're part of the solution and right. we certainly are part of the conversation and, you know, we have great partners across the country. So it's more that kind of, kind of thing. It's really amazing is that the fact that for many years, more men die by suicide than, than women, but people haven't focused on, on serving them. Yeah, that's because, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm acting like I'm going to give a simple answer and that I know that I'm right. So let me not say that's because, because. <laughs> it may be because. <laughs> because, because then I'll sound like a guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about. Well, so, so there, there are, there are, there are several reasons for that. The one that I was going to mention, first of all, is that if white middle-aged men are the target population, it is hard to think of them as disenfranchised in some way. But we really are disenfranchised by the mental health world, all right? White middle-aged men really are disenfranchised. And again, I don't, I don't want to, by, by emphasizing white middle-aged men, I don't want to discount the fact that there are whole bodies, whole populations, uh, young Native American 
African-American men, young black men, others that are absolutely peaked out. But if you look at, at both numbers and rates, not just one or the other, white middle-aged men is who's dying, all right? That's really the case. So, so one, issue, one issue is how can we treat white middle-aged men as being needy when they're the most privileged people on the planet Earth? in America, right? I mean, it's just like, so that's part of it. But then the other part of it is just what we talked about, that that mass, male, masculine, our culture, our culture um, does not, well, of course it promotes health. There's a whole bunch of us who are healthy, but it also promotes things like that one way to deal with your feelings is to um, have a drink, Right. I mean, our culture really promotes that. Men's culture does. Um, our culture promotes um, competition, uh, success. So if you're a failure, if you fail, then you're a failure. Our culture supports that. And that's just not even true, right? Um, if you fail, it means you're a human being and you've lived long enough to try something. <laughs> because yeah, everyone right. who has had that experience has failed at something, yeah. right? <laughs> But, but, but men's culture doesn't, doesn't tell, and there's, we could go on and on about all these things about Mm -hmm. men's culture that, um, you know, we love to help each other, but sometimes if I need to ask you, right, or if I need to appear weak or needy or that I don't know, then mm, that's not going to get you anywhere, you know? So, so, so there are a whole bunch of things about, about men's culture that I would say, and this is, you know, my opinion, I'm talking just purely my opinion here. You know, there are a lot of things about men's culture that work against us, but just as we were talking before, okay, so you can look at that just like we looked at the beginning at, well, men are this way and that works against us, but then you have to look at the larger culture and, you know, maybe we don't need to go sit one-on-one in a, in a dimly lit room and spill our guts to somebody for 50 minutes, you know, maybe now that has actually helped me. So I'm not saying universe, but, but everybody needs something different is what I'm saying. And in general, you know, maybe, maybe men need to, um, you know, need to go, uh, be a support group that goes down to habitat for ha- humanity and makes a house together, you know, for their healing. Maybe that's what they need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll right. tell you what, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we need to go sit shoulder to shoulder or stand shoulder to shoulder in a stream and, and fish, you know, with a fly rod, you know, the, the, these things. And it's not that women don't need those things too, but men need things to recover that I don't think our society is very savvy about. Yeah. It's interesting you should bring up, because I read a, uh, an article this morning that talks about how men, in order for them to even be open up to avoid the perception of, you know, there's some kind of something romantic going on when there's, mm-hmm. you know, when they're, you know, when they're sharing their feelings with, with other men, there has to be and some kind of an experience involved, some kind of an interest or shared yeah. uh, bonding thing that's going on for them to feel even safe to be able to open up in that particular regard. And certainly your perception about the cultural barriers that exist, those, those are things that Eddie and I talked about, you know, yeah. ourselves and, and certainly we share that perception of that we you know you're not alone in believing that and thinking that there, there are way too many cultural barriers yes. that are there for and especially with the white middle-aged men and i yeah. think that precisely because there's that perception of the privilege the power and everything yeah. else i mean the fear of, of the fear of 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 
literally having your career completely yes. derailed yes. just because you open up and say, you know what, I am dealing with major depression right now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very real fear. It's it's oh, it's it's so real that okay. So in the in the world of of, of uh, studies about suicide grief, all right. You know, there's not enough research there, but there's a couple things that we know for sure. And one thing that we know for sure mm -hmm. is that stigma actually hurts people. You know what I mean? It actually keeps people from getting help. It actually um, uh, slows their, their healing. You know, stigma is actually a real force in the world. And oh, yeah. so when you start looking at, at, um, at what men might, might need, it is just like you point out. Look, any any um, any healing that goes goes on, I don't care what whether it's physical healing or whether it's a man or a bug, you know, you have to have an environment that supports that healing or else it will not happen. That's all there is to it. You know, so you have to have an environment that supports that healing. And so if you need to heal your psychological wounds, if you need to heal your emotional brokenness, if you need to heal, you know, whatever is neurotic about you, you know, or messed up about you or wrong, you know, like you've got the wrong idea about how to go about stuff, whether it's violence or, or whatever it is. Well, somebody has to provide, you have to work with somebody who can provide an environment where you can do what you need to do to get that worked out. And that is a complicated, complicated thing too, you know, so. And, and, and the same environment won't work for everybody. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. The, the whole notion men's culture just seems is, is such an act and, and white middle-class males, probably the privilege, if that's the biggest act. So it's a huge risk to say, Oh, that this is kind of an act and I'm not as, I'm not feeling as privileged as I'm supposed to be or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and that's the first thing. And it's almost the notion of needing an activity. It's like men needed a distraction to then let their guard down. Like the we had a shared activity and now I can actually open up. I love that you bring that up because both of you touched on something which uh, to me seems to be a theme that keeps surfacing and that is men are exceptionally good at finding ways to avoid. Avoid the feelings that we are taught that somehow are bad for us. That seems to be a, a, a common theme, right? You know, the, you know, we need to act. We need to, do, we need to find some kind of activity. We need to drink. We need to turn to something to avoid a, a, a head on again, this is, this is cultural conditioning. Yeah. It's, you know, these, these are interesting ideas. I, I, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to think about it a little bit to me, mm -hmm. to me, when we talk about uh, men having an act or men avoiding, mm -hmm. you know, in, in part you, th you think about it and it, at its root, at its root is the idea of, of what, what either keeps me safe or gets me what I need. You know, this is like really brain stem stuff yeah, here. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Brain stem. <laughs> because we're literally to be animals right? part of the brain. <laughs> exactly. And so when you think about the power of translating that level of, of, of uh, the source of what's going on to your job, you know, it's like you're having uh, flight or, or what is it? Fight or fight. flight. Yeah. You're having flight or fight syndrome over your report being overdue. You know, it's like, that can't be good for you. <laughs> you know, and so you're going to avoid that happening. 
Yeah. You know, you're yeah. going to, and you're going to, when somebody says, if you're going to get punished, you know, for, um, look, you're not going to walk, you're going to walk into your boss's office and you will have no problem saying, Hey, look, I need to go see my cardiologist. You know, I, I'm suffering here, but you're not going to go in there to your boss's office and say, Hey, I need to go to the psychologist, psychiatrist today. Right. It's that just not going to happen. You know, yeah. so again, you're going to go, Hey, I'm okay, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So it, it, I think, I think that thing about that we're really responding to deep, deep, deep needs that, that our society is pretty, um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's yeah. not, you know, yeah. the cultural conditioning whether, triggers that, that primal instinct of survival, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, modern yeah. society is a little, little miswired, you know, for all that. <laughs> and so. that's what we, we've talked about before and it's very, it's, it's more acceptable for women to do that, but to get out of your head, to drop down and yeah. feel. So yeah, if you're, if you're stuck in the old hardest lizard brain, you know, but cause we're not faced with things that are going to destroy us and really yeah. our life is not in danger, but yeah. the old wiring is still there. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what, that's the, to my way of thinking, that is sort of the basis of our, of some of these reactions that maybe just look neurotic or whatever, yeah. but it's really deep, deep like that. And so, Again, I, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so, so, so here's the thing. And I think that this is what's so encouraging to me because look, we're having this talk just like this, you know, and if we were, you know, if we were in private, we could probably talk about, you know, some, some, some stuff and we would all bene- benefit from it and we would all feel safe in it. And nobody had to go do something. <laughs> right, <laughs> you didn't, yeah. You didn't have to hire anybody or, or anything. And this is happening all over the place, you know, where men are going, you know, whatever it is, really, really sensitive stuff, whether whether it's about whether it's about feeling like a failure or whether it's about um, uh, losing a relationship or whether it's about their own uh, their own sexual well being or men are having these these conversations I think in in a new way in a lot of places privately mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that I learned we did a we did a survey this has been maybe three or four years or more ago we did a survey of men who are uh, uh, bereaved by suicide and one of the things I learned from it is that uh, that we asked our questions and had sort of that assumed stereotype right we were kind of asking questions around does this happen to you because you you don't go try to get help that isn't what we said but people were picking up on that and i'll bet one of the comments we got the most was you're stereotyping us we we aren't archie bunker you know we're a whole new 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 breed and and i can talk about my feelings and so so i just think that when that, when i got that pushback i wasn't as focused on men's working directly with men's suicide prevention as I am now. But to me, that was the beginning of sort of my return to looking at masculinity as something that I'm personally into. Like back in the day, back in the seventies, you know, I, I read Iron John and, uh, and again, I don't know if everybody's going Iron John, I better Google that, but you know, but back in the day, uh, Robert Robert Bly and um, Sam Keen and others um, 
we're doing we're doing work around this and you know at least i had an intellectual interest and in, i never went out you know into the woods and beat a drum or anything but i am willing to <laughs> you know you know so so yeah i think i think um i think there there is a renaissance of that um somewhere because i keep bumping into it now that i'm in this men's suicide prevention thing and so mass men we're gonna we're gonna go to uh uh, uh men and boys health summit um in june you know and that's people like like we're talking about here they're 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 around and you know, I'm learning about it, and I think that there is something going on. Cool. Well, I, I do know at some point, Real Men Feel will have a live weekend, yeah. a live event, so we'll get you in the woods drumming. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, sure. That's what, that's, what I, that's what makes me feel most alive, is, is yeah. being willing to have a new experience. Yeah, right. I'm down with it. Yeah. You know, I'm down with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will not sing, probably, but... Uh. Don't rule anything out. <laughs> we've been we've been going for like forty minutes. And I just want to acknowledge that, and um, yeah. and I we I, I we love to have you back and just talk men's culture. You know, this, yeah. I feel like this could go on for a long time. Yeah, that's it's for really, sure. Yes. Yeah, it's re- yeah. Well, it's really nice to uh, meet you, um, Apio. Really, really a pleasure, and especially to know that you're you're in northern northern Utah. Yeah. Uh, I still have two kids there and eight grandchildren, so I go there from time to time. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what develops. But certainly, Andy, um, you know I appreciate your work, and I think that people who are willing to go out and pioneer, you know, some of these things like support, <clears throat> men's groups and men's conversations. I mean, this is what's gonna. This is what's going to make a, a difference for it, so for us. So I'm very grateful um, to you and to both of you for for this opportunity. Awesome, yeah. Glad we found each other. And yeah, uh, just absolutely. just to recap, to um, can learn about at massmen.org. Yep. And and what's your what's your personal site? It's actually it's actually um, it's actually personalgriefcoach.com. Personalgriefcoach.com. Awesome. And uh, guys looking for guys or women, we have ladies in our Facebook group as well. We have a private Facebook group called Real Men Feel to keep the discussion ongoing um, between shows. You can talk about the show. Tell us what you didn't like, what you like, what you want to see next. Uh, Anything goes. It's a place to share and to comment. And speaking of men's groups, I actually lead a men's group here in Massachusetts. Meets the third Thursday of each month up in Andover, Massachusetts, at a place called Circles of Wisdom. And this, this Friday, Friday the 13th, I'm leading my uh, To Be Man workshop, so if you're brave enough to come face your manly superstitions, uh, that's happening in Acton, Massachusetts, and you can check that out at, at my site, navitascoach.com. And uh, we're actually taking a break. Real Men Feel will not be live next week. Uh, we're going to take a little short break, but uh, we'll be back in two weeks on the 24th of May, and we're going to be busting some relationship stereotypes with author and coach Jeff Lofton. Um, and I believe he's from Colorado. So everyone's, everyone's coming from out west. There's all these connections to you, Apio. I'm telling you, there's something about these mountains out here. I like, just kind of like really create that deep, deep, you know, personality and ways of thinking. Cool. But then oh, look where they all end up. They end up in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking, looking to heal and feel out here. Right. Oh, wait, <laughs> they attracted to our low suicide rate. It's a... We don't have that in our tourism brochures, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, um, and just want to let you know that uh, Real Men Feel, all of our past episodes can now be found on iTunes as well. Just search uh, in the iTunes store for Real Men Feel and you'll find us there. Um, found as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yep. SoundCloud. Yeah, we're everywhere. We're on YouTube. Yeah. You just search, spend all day searching Google for Real Men Feel and, and read and watch and view whatever shows up. Right? Yeah, you'll find us. So we'll have uh, bobblehead dolls. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That or, that or a, a bobblehead doll of my dog. I don't know if I'll do one of me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks again, Franklin. Thank uh, you, Fabio. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks thank for everyone checking us out today and uh, be well. All right. Thank you. See you guys. Mm-hmm.